crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Today, we are talking about the wonders of wine and building a business around your passion and all the sausage-making and difficulties that goes into that. Lots of good topics today on The Growth Show with Xander Oxman, CEO and co-founder of Wink, formerly Club W. Let's dive into today's episode. I'm Kit Bodner, and this is The Growth Show. The, the first thing I want to know about is how does a guy decide to get into the e-commerce wine business? Like, what does that even look like? Uh, sheer, sheer stupidity. Um, <laughs> it's not an easy business. And, and hopeless optimism. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it, it definitely stemmed from a love of the product and, and wanting to do something that you know, I could see myself getting excited about on, on a Monday morning 10 years out. Um, and, and my background's in tech. It's not in hospitality or food and wine, though. My co-founders are, are pretty steep in this industry. Um, I came at it really from the perspective of a, of a consumer, first and foremost, somebody that loved wine but did not have any industry experience. And, uh, you know, that, I think that, that really set up the foundation of the company and, and is still kind of our North Star, like what's, what's best for the consumer? Um, how do we think about this from the perspective of the consumer's experience? Um, but you know, when you, when you come at things from that way, you also, you're coming with the ignorance of not really knowing why things work the way they work and, and how complicated they are, uh, on the back end. So, um, you know, we got to, we got to see how the sausage is made and, uh, sometimes it's not pretty, but, um, <laughs> I think, I think we've emerged with, with something pretty cool and, and definitely something I'm very proud of. Yeah. So, with Wink, you guys are, I would argue, like on my take on it, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that what you're really trying to do is enable people to discover new wine and try try new wine. Is that kind of how you guys think about it? Yeah, that's, that's definitely at the core of what we're doing. Making wine accessible, democratizing wine, we say a lot. Um, and, and I, you know, I think accessible means a lot of things. It means shipping it everywhere. The, you know, there are places in the country where um, choices are quite limited. Um, and, and we think, you know, every really interesting thing should be available no matter where you live. And, um, and then, and it also means like just sort of taking down some of the pretense and notch. So making, making it something that people don't have to be, um, intimidated to, to learn about or, or, or enjoy, you know, the, the industry has sort of done itself a, a disservice in our, in our view of like, you know, all this pomp and circumstance that surrounds, wine really puts a lot of people off and and from the outset we wanted to do away with that well yeah and you know what strikes me is you you guys are solving a problem that i think most people or a lot at least a lot of people listening to the show have to solve which is how do i get somebody to to do something new um and leave what's comfortable for them whether that be use a new software use a new service or in this case drink a different kind of wine how do you think about that? How do you think about getting people to to give their habits and their their comfort away? Um, I, I don't. I, I think wine is a category, something that the people are largely predisposed to to wanting to sort of broaden their horizons and, and continually find new things. I think that's probably 
especially true for our demographics. Really? We're not talking that's, that's, about, that's surprising to me. I mean, I know so many of my friends who are like, oh, yeah, I'll just have a Pinot Grigio. I only drink this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, no, it's I, so strange. I think um, I think sort of the younger you go down the spectrum um, of, of, of course, people that are of legal age. Of course. Um, the more you get... The more you get to this feeling like, you know, wine is an interesting kind of vehicle for, for discovery and exploration. And so I, I do think there is um, there is a sort of strong bias towards like w- wanting to learn more, get stuff from, you know, different places and try things that are stylistically different or, or you know, fringe varietals. Um, I, I think our, our customers definitely very open to that. Now, there is, de- there is a... I was just going to say, there's also a group that, that, you know, is your hardcore Pinot Grigio drinker. Um, and, and I, you know, there, I think the behavior is a little bit different. Those people actually more often than not have purchased wine in other ways before, like they tend to be a little bit more experienced. And mm-hmm. so they maybe been a member of a winery club or, or, you know, bought online like they, and, and so there it's really more about getting them to, to, to think about, well, maybe I do want to try something else. And at 13 bucks a bottle, like I'll take a winger on, you know, if I love Pinot Grigio, I'll take a winger on, on a Sauv Blanc or a, you know, or a Chardonnay, and um, you know, that's that's a that's a fun thing to to watch people go through too. Yeah, and so tactically, how are you guys doing that? I imagine that that's part of your marketing message. I imagine that's part of your, you know, new customer sign up process. Like, what's that actually look like? Yeah, so we have something called a palette profile, which is um, an algorithm that makes recommendations to every one of our members every month. Um, and it's, it's, you know, the, the data behind that is both what the, the questions that you answer in our onboarding funnel. So, you, you know, you go through a quiz on our site when you sign up that asks about, you know, nothing wine specific, but like basic kind of flavors. Um, mm-hmm. How do you feel about salt and, and citrus and how do you take your coffee? And that helps inform like a, a very sort of crude at a crude level, like where on the spectrum you might fall on some things that, that, you know, uh, on our side look like how tolerant are they to, to sort of alcohol? What are they looking for in terms of sweetness? Um, but people often have trouble articulating that or, or, you know, in my case, before we got into this, I, I didn't even really realize I was that these were the things that were resonating with me or, or putting me off on a certain bottle of wine. So that, that's kind of like the first, that's like the icebreakers we call it like that, that gets us kind of in, in your wheelhouse um, but then what, what really starts to make things interesting is, you know, we, we encourage all of our members to rate everyone we send them every month. And, and so we've now got this huge data set of ratings and we can, we can do a fairly sophisticated, um, like affinity algorithm that says, you know, other people that like the same sorts of wine that you like also like these four other mm-hmm. wines that you haven't tried yet. I think the challenge here also is like wine is a finite thing. You know, somebody only makes so many bottles of wine. There's only so many bottles of that wine in a given vintage. Like, how do you control for that? You know, somebody's like, oh, you know, you find a wine that works for this affinity group, but then, you know, you sell through it. And then it's like, well, uh, I guess we got to find another one now. How does, how does that all work? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a sort of complex um, sourcing mm-hmm. problem we've created for ourselves. But the teams, <laughs> you know... <laughs> the team's done a pretty masterful job of, of ingesting all of that data and really forecasting like, okay, wow, this looks like it's trending or, you know, we're, we're selling through Pinot Noir much faster than we thought we were. We're going to have to find something that's going to satisfy that drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and you know you're right in that it's finite, but it, there's also just a, a tremendous amount of wine that's made worldwide and is available. Yeah. Um, and, and so as long as we can um, stay very attuned to that sort of feedback we're getting from our customers and and act on it responsibly, you know, be really nimble from a sourcing standpoint. Um, you know, we've been we've been pretty good at, at staying ahead of it, and um, and we're not we're certainly not in a position where we're worried about sort of. Uh, you know, they're not being enough wine to, to grow <laughs> sure. our business. Sure, sure. Um, you, you know, you are affected by things like yields in, in certain mm-hmm. countries because of, you know, because of climate or, or whatever else are, are, um, are tighter than expected. And, and then you kind of need to, to pivot into something else. But, but um, you know, when you look at things from a global perspective, there's, there's an awful lot out there um, and an awful lot of like really, really just, excellent undervalued stuff um and, and i shouldn't just say abroad i mean there's lots of it here oh yeah too. absolutely and so we, we get super fired up at, at the prospect of like introducing people to something they've never seen before or even bringing something you know totally new into the market for the first time that's that's like a, that's a fun part of the job yeah it sounds sounds pretty awesome so there's a lot of education in the business you're in a lot of people a lot of diverse products you know wine from Different parts of the world that people have never been to, grapes that they've never heard of, all of these things. How do you how do you tackle the education side of it? How do you how do you teach people about about wine? So our position there has always been like we we want to be we want to be um, as educational as people want us to be. <laughs> so we, we we definitely are really passionate about um, the the wines that we're sort of sending out into the world. We never want to come across as, as pedantic or, or like, you know, you have to read this, this 30 page leaflet before you can crack this bottle open and enjoy it. Like that's ridiculous. Now, if you want to, like, if you want to dive in and learn about the history of wine in Greece or, you know, why this varietal, which everybody thought was lost for a hundred years and then resurfaced mm-hmm. in Chile is like the new hot thing. Like we definitely want to provide that, that, but it's on the basis of like, it's here if you want it. And if you just want to like kick back and, and have a glass of wine, then we're totally good with that too. What? What's been the hardest part? You've been at this for four years, and you've gotten into a regulated business in shipping wine and, and procuring wine and, and all of these things. You're dealing with a, a, a unique customer. What's What's been the most challenging part of the last four years for you? Oh, so many, Kip. So <laughs> many challenges. Um, you know, I think the... It, it was really tough really early. Um, I, businesses are just are just fragile in their infancy. And, you know, it doesn't take much to to derail it completely. Um, and so we were, you know, we were facing a lot of headwinds. There there have been a number of attempted businesses uh, that have been started and, and venture back to varying degrees uh, in the wine space. You know, to my knowledge, there hasn't been anything that's really been what what anybody would would call successful. Um, you know, e-commerce as a category has, has, you know, been beat up quite a bit. Um, and, and so, and, and, you know, we're talking now kind of 2012, 2013, we're trying to, we're trying to grow the business. We're trying to raise money. Like those were, those were sort of precarious times in more recent years. You know, I, I think it's more about just, um, for me personally, kind of maintaining the vision, trying to, trying to grow as, as a leader of a, of, you know, what's now a, a reasonably, really big team and, and, and maintain the sort of, um, spirit and, 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 uh, nimbleness that, that we've had, um, since we started. But, uh, 
but the challenges now are much less kind of like existential crises. They're more sort of like, you know, how do we really make the most of the opportunities in front of us? Um, and then, and, uh, you know, that's, it's, sometimes it's frustrating. I feel like we're, we're not firing on all cylinders every day, but it's also kind of what, what keeps me so motivated, um, at this point is just like the, the opportunity still feels like it's, it's so big and, and such a, such a cool thing to be able to tackle, um, that it, uh, you know, it, it does you know, make me wake up on Monday mornings and say like, man, I can't wait to get to work. So, so what's next? And how do you, how do you keep taking over the wine world? Uh, you've got a bunch of data you imagine you can do some cool stuff with, but you know, what's, what's the future look like? The thing that's, um, really exciting. That's kind of a newer development for us is, you know, we've, we've built this great portfolio, this, this pretty incredible, um, wine team and, and, and sourcing pipeline. And we're now taking our wines and moving them offline. You've seen this, I think in a, in a lot of e-commerce companies, um, or sort of digitally native brands, um, lately is, you know, you start online, but then there's, there's an offline play. And so for us, that means, you know, selling into restaurants, which we don't think that business is going anywhere. Um, no. and, uh, and even into select retailers where, where it makes sense. So, um, you know, we've got at this point hundreds of, of restaurant and retail accounts, and that's a, a very fast growing part of our business. So you say you don't see the restaurant retail space going anywhere. So, you know, I think one of the things is we've seen over the past years is the monthly description and monthly subscription across a bunch of different things. You guys are doing it in the wine space, but it's happened across, I think, clothing and personal care and multiple different categories. How does that, mm-hmm. how do you think that just evolves as a, not just, not specifically to you all, but just as a category, the, the kind of the monthly subscription boxes, how, where do you see that going? I don't know, honestly, I haven't given it a ton of thought. I mean, I, I think the reason we've, we've used this model is because it makes sense for our product and for our customer. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, if, if, if I step back, I think we probably hit shit in a box a while ago mm-hmm. um I, i'm not sure quote of the day yeah there's that much like to me meal kits m- make sense mm-hmm. i don't know how big the market is or where it goes but like sure. the, the, that makes a lot of sense um some of the things like you know I, I think where you've got where you're really kind of selling novelty and that wears off quickly i'm just not sure you know how how much longevity those business models have talk to me a little bit about kind of how you make this all work? So you, you've got to procure the wine. You then have to to match that with with the right person. Talk to me a little bit about how the back end of this this machinery works. Like, how do you get the right wine? It's it's definitely part art and part science. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, we and and we're we're making wine a, a bunch of different ways. So we're working with partners that are making things for us. To, to a pretty tight specification. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're working with, with lots of partners in that capacity. We've got our own team that's, that's making, at this point, most of our wines from, you know, from grape to glass. So, mm-hmm. so buying fruit and overseeing all of production. Um, and, then we're also, and then we're also active uh, as, a, as a direct importer. So finding you know, great stuff um, from overseas and, and, uh, and bringing it kind of as the exclusive importer. Um, and so, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got all these, these different sourcing pipelines and you're trying to kind of match that against a customer base that's growing and changing and has some seasonal factors going on. And I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of variables. And so 
we can do some things pretty, pretty, pretty darn well based on the data. And then some of it's just like, look, we think like this tastes really, really good. <laughs> we think customers are going to like it. It might be something that they've never heard of. We might not have done it in the past. Um, but we're super fired up on it and we're going to put it out into the world. And, uh, and, and more often than not, when we do that, you know, those things, those things do really well too. So, so shifting gears just a little bit. So if, if we had the time machine and you could go back to four years ago, you, when you decided to, mm-hmm. to, to embark on this adventure, what would you tell yourself? What, like, what would you do differently? What would you want to know that you knew now four years ago? You know, I, I think I probably would have just said, have, have more conviction, <laughs> which, which sounds a little bit strange. Cause I think we've, we've, you know, run this company with a pretty high degree of conviction. But I, I, I think, uh, you know, as, as company grows and, and as it becomes more clear that you're doing something really different, the more often you can repeat or the more sort of lucidly you can articulate what you think the world's going to look like and, and how you fit into that um, five, ten years down the road, um, the easier it is to get alignment, you know, not just internally, but from from your partners and from customers and and so, you know, I, I think we're getting there now, and, and um, we've, we've gotten a lot better at sort of communicating who we are and what we believe in and where we're going. Um, but it's funny, like, I, it's not like we didn't think those things four years ago. I think we were just more sort of timid about saying them out loud. Yeah, I think that's good advice for, for everybody listening today. So when we were sound checking, you were you were talking. We, we we were sound checking over what you had for breakfast, and you'd mentioned you know you were just eating leftover fruit that your kids had. What is what has being a dad taught you and uh, about running a company? I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively new dad. I have a nine month old. I I, I want to know want to know the, the oh, secrets. Oh, thank you. And want to know what what you've learned from being a dad and how you've applied that to to Wink. I'm I'm probably. You know, I'm learning on the job from both fronts. <laughs> Fair enough, every day. me too. Um, what I what I think is is most beneficial. Like, so, so obviously, you know, family takes a lot of time, work takes a lot of time, and, and I think mm-hmm. that the sort of default response is like it's it's hard to do to do both things well. Um, I I don't know that I could have done this job without my family. To be honest, I, I think. Um, you know, I alluded a little bit to the fact that like, you know, we had some, we had some dark days and, and there were times where I was like, what, you know, this is, this is a, a crazy quest we're on and, and <laughs> maybe we should turn around. Um, but there's something just so grounding about kids and, you know, certainly my wife has been like a tremendous source of support for me along, along the road too. But, um, you know, you come home to kids and, and it's just like, man, nothing else nothing else really matters. Like it, it just, it's, it's, it's liberating in a way. And, and it just provides this like tremendous perspective as to what's really important. Um, so I, you know, I would just say, enjoy it and, <laughs> Fair and, enough. and, you know, use use your time with your kids as an opportunity to sort of, to ground yourself. It, it, it's, um, it's so good for that. That's awesome. And I, I've been trying to do that and will continue to do it. That's uh that's good advice. What, um, you, you you said in that though you're like oh there were some days where I just thought about turning around why why didn't you why why'd you keep going uh, I don't know I've been thinking about this some lately like I think it's funny I, I think being an entrepreneur requires this very unlikely combination of being very rational <laughs> but also just like 
hopelessly irrational. Um, you know, you just, just like dogged and optimistic in a way that, that defies any sort of, you know, logical thinking. Um, there were times where I think we were just so deep into it that that, and, and I'm talking really early now, yeah, yeah, sure. like when, when, you know, when, when we could have more easily pulled the ripcord, um, it just felt like, you know, we've, we've, we've raised money. We owe it to our investors and our earliest investors were like, you know, friends and family and no, no way we were going to let them down. And, um, you know, VCs let them down all day. Um, <laughs> Fair <I'm> enough. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, in, in the team and, and our customers and like, we just, you know, I think, I think it was really people, um, in, in all, in all three of those camps that, that, and, and like not broadly, but like people who we, we knew and, and who we cared about, mm-hmm. um, that kept us going. And then I think there was this, there was this sense that, 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 that sort of core set of beliefs that we had about where things were going, um, was true and that it was going to, you know, it was going to take some time for things to mature to the point where that was obvious to, to people other than ourselves, not bottoms up. Like, can we make payroll mm-hmm. or does customer acquisition work or, but like top down, like, is there a market here? Is this like, do we have a unique position on where this market is going and are we qualified and able to, to solve for that? I mean, it was that, it was that very sort of high level, like, yeah, we're still, we're still the right people to tackle this. And this is an opportunity worth tackling. I feel like so many uh, successful entrepreneurs have that same mentality, which is like, we know we're right and the market's just not there yet, but we're going to, we're going to make it work and we're going to, we're going to get aligned with the market eventually. So before we let you go, there, there, there are a lot of people listening who are, are probably like, man, I wish I could do something awesome, like, you know, find something I'm really passionate about and turn it into a business like, like the Xander guy did with wine. Like, how, how, how do I do that? Like, what advice would you give to somebody who was thinking about building a business around their passion? I, you know, I go, I go back and forth on this. Um, I, I just, I honestly don't think it's for everybody. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. And I think you just have to get real serious with yourself early about whether or not it's what you want to do. And then I think also some of it is sort of like, what is, what are you looking to build? I think, I think um, a lot of people can, can do great things with their passions. I think it's just, you know, get, getting kind of real with yourself early is, is important. But I will say like, you know, I came, my background's in software. I've done businesses in spaces that were tech related. And, and I love tech as, as sort of a, a very broad category, but I was doing like B2B stuff and, and payments and, and it is so much easier to, to, to work on something that, that you're really interested in and that you can enjoy. And that like when there's a real business and, and you really are well suited to, to tackling it. Um, and it's something that, that you love and, and that you think you're going to love for a long time. Like that's, that really is a, a pretty amazing combination. feel super, super lucky to, to be doing this. It does make it easier when it's something you really care about. Fair enough. I think that is awesome advice. Xander, thanks so much for taking some time chatting with, with us today. Hopefully we'll see each other in person some point and have a glass of wine and, and talk more about how you all are, are doing. But uh, it was awesome to get some insight today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Refer a friend to subscribe to this podcast, and you can be featured in an episode. If you refer five friends to subscribe to the show, you'll get a shout-out in our weekly email newsletter. Refer 10, 
I'll give you a shout out on our next episode. 20, you get a featured segment on the next episode. And if you refer 100 friends, you get the entire episode to yourself. That's right, 100 referrals and you become the guest. Tell them to subscribe to the show in their favorite podcast app, then head over to bit.ly slash TGS refer a friend to give you credit for the referral.